Just a quick note before we get started, we are only able to do this podcast because of the support of you, our listeners. We'd like to thank each and every one of our Patreon donors that help keep this show going. Through Patreon, we are able to offer our supporters bonus content like many episodes and even the chance to program an episode with monthly donations that help us keep the lights on. If you're interested in joining our Patreon family, please click the link in the show notes. And while you're at it, please leave a rating and or comment on whatever platform you're listening to this podcast on. That helps us gain helpful insight about the show and boost our visibility. Thanks for listening and enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome to Fatal Femmes, a podcast surrounding the women of mystery. Each episode will focus on a mystery, suspense, or thriller and the women that made them famous. We're your hosts, Lars Celeste Cannon and Lacey Cannon-Gonzalez. Stay tuned. In this episode, we look at the 2020 Amazon Prime show, The Wilds, created by Sarah Stryker, starring Sophia Ali, Shannon Berry, Jenna Claus, Rain Edwards, Mia Healy, Helena Howard, Irana James, Sarah Pidgeon, and Rachel Griffiths. To get us started, here's a synopsis. A group of teens must survive after a crash leaves them stranded. There's just one twist to this thrilling drama. These girls did not end up on this island by accident. We want to caution you that this episode is full of spoilers. We get in depth on every aspect of the plot, so if you care about that, go watch the pilot and come back. We'll be waiting. Trigger warnings for this episode are an inappropriate relationship with a minor and violence. Happy New Year! Happy New Year! So this is our first show of 2021. We did it. We did it. We did it. We did it. Hooray! I'm not sure what we did, but it's been done. We made it to a symbolic threshold. Yay! I read one of our friend's tweets and it was something about like, yay, you've reached this modern threshold created by a Gregorian calendar system. Yay! (laughs) Yay! I don't know. It just kind of feels like we did pass something even though it's you know just in my mind well it's symbolic but it is kind of like an energy shift because as of today we're 16 days away from the inauguration of our next president which is really exciting and i think just the closer we get to that like i feel like that's going to be second christmas second new year (laughs) it's going to be a nice birthday present even though it's after my birthday yeah only four days though we made it to this new year and we are celebrating by our first two episodes for the new year are going to be all about desolate places. Yay! And survival! Yay! And teenage girls! Yay! Oh yeah, that's right. Both of them star teenage girls. Being a teenage girl sometimes, it feels like you're barely surviving. It feels like you survived something getting through your teenage years. So putting things where it where the the characters have to survive and be teens. This show was recommended to me by a couple of people and it's and this is kind of a rarity because this is a show I brought to you, Laura. I heard about this from a couple people I know through work and just my personal life because I would post about what are people watching or that I was interested in watching the show and every time I would do so I would get feedback from people going, "Oh my god, it's so good. It's so good." And there's been a lot of hype around the show. It only premiered less than a month ago, but it's already been renewed for season two. Yes, it has. And yeah, this year we're going to have a lot more things that you have introduced to me because you've been watching a lot more things. I know. It's amazing what not having a job does. 
<laughs> yeah. You read a lot this year, and you started watching more things. Yep, I read... I've started 29 books in the year of 2020, and I finished 28. I'm finishing the 29th right now. Woo. But I think I'm just going to count that as the first book of 2021. Yeah, that's what I'm doing, because I have a book that I read the majority of last year, but I'm not done with it. So I count when I finish it. Yeah, I think I'm going to do that as well because this one I got months ago and I started and stopped it and would pick it up and put it back down. So I finally have gotten on a routine of reading every day again after all the craziness of the holidays. That's going to start my TBR list this year. So this is currently being read and then I already have like three or four books in line after this one. Awesome. So yes, I'm very well read. <laughs> well, I know that we don't really need help remembering the year that just ended, but for the people in the future who are listening to this episode, hello, people in the future. Hello, future people. Uh, Let's set the scene. Yes. The Wilds premiered on December 11th, 2020. That was the year that the COVID-19 virus caused a global pandemic. Basketball player Kobe Bryant, actor Chadwick Boseman, Jeopardy host Alec Trebek, and Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg all passed away. To put in there, though, it's like we lost so many celebrities. Like we would, this would it would be a third of the show if we just went through all the celebrities that died. But like a huge amount of celebrities died th- this year. In addition to COVID, like, yeah, we lost a lot to COVID, but then we lost a lot to other things. Like, none of these people died from COVID. We've lost over 340,000 people to COVID just in 2020 alone. Yeah, so none of these celebrities passed away with COVID. There were celebrities that, that did pass away from COVID. Just, it just seemed like there was just a lot of death this year, even without yeah. COVID. A lot of people in the entertainment industry and in the media world were passing away. Yeah, I just picked a few that either were... Very shocking or... Very... I felt their passing. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. Uh, But wildfires ravaged Australia and parts of the United States. Aquafina became the first actor of Asian descent to win a Golden Globe for lead actress. So that was a good thing. Uh, Bad Boys for Life was the highest grossing movie. (laughs) I think mostly because movie theaters shut down. I think that might have (laughs) helped. Parasite became the first non-English language film to win the Best Picture Award at the Academy Awards. Blinding Lights by The Weeknd was the number one song. And it feels like so much else happened as well. Like we had Murder Hornets and the presidential election, which has just been an absolute nightmare. But it seems like every month, I think the most used phrase on news programs was like the 2020 bingo card. Because every Mm -hmm. month, every week, it felt like there was this new crazy headline of something that happening. And so they're like, who had coked out wild boars on their 2020 bingo card? It's like... Yeah, didn't we had coke boars and meth gators? Yeah, coke boars, meth gators, murder hornets, fire tornadoes. Yeah. Like God really just looked at the earth and went, okay, (laughs) this year, like... If you can dream it, I can do it. Yeah, literally. There was a really funny TikTok, and it was like God talking to one of the angels. And he was like, oh, did you schedule all the events for the next 10 years of 2020, like in the 2020s? 
And they're like, the next 10 years? Like, yeah, everything I want to happen in the 2020s. Not everything you wanted to happen in 2020. So I thought it was kind of funny because it was insinuating that we had 10 years of like global disaster and events crammed into one year. Not gonna lie, it kind of feels like that. Yeah, yeah, I'm still in March. So when March comes back around, I'm just gonna be like, yeah, we've always been here. I, I saw one thing that was like, so are we in March, January? Or March, February, or March, 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 December. Yeah, because yeah, honestly, it feels like the last year didn't actually happen. It simultaneously felt so long and went so fast. Which tell me how that happens? I don't know. I'm not a psychologist. I don't understand these things. So let's talk about the wild. So, like I said, this show was recommended to me and spoken very highly of through people that I know. I was going to ask you, how did you first hear about the wilds? I just saw a preview for it and thought, huh, that looks cool. And then I started hearing that it was really good. And then you were like, let's check it out. So I did. Yeah, because we originally had another show on the docket, but we won't, I won't say what it is in case we decide to cover it later. But there was some things about it that we were both getting hung up on. And I was kind of dragging my feet because there was some subject matter I wasn't sure about. So this came up and... Thankfully, you were like, yeah, that's cool. I'll switch last minute. The other one, you know, I like some things about it, but I also had some reservations. And I really would like to use this platform to highlight things that I like and not things that I'm iffy about. Right. So. Yeah. And between that show and this show, I had a much better response to this show because um, I think I, I don't remember exactly how I said it to you after I first watched the pilot. I just left with a good feeling because it gave you the mystery. It gave you the suspense. You were engaged with the characters and interested in their backstories. And it gave you just enough to get you connected, but not enough to give you the full story, which I really like because sometimes I think they give you too much and it doesn't allow or they don't give you enough. So it was just like the perfect amount for me. And the story is really interesting, but it also kind of harkens back to Lost just a little bit for me and you know that was an event and I think it's been 16 years since that show came out so we've been due for another stranded on the desert island survivor movie but this time it is with a group of high school aged girls and I think it's really cool because one of the biggest things that I took away from this was and I think we talked about this in the an apocalypse episode as well it was seeing girls that are younger able to adapt and handle themselves in different situations without necessarily having like a big explanation why. And so in this, you have a bunch of different girls coming from very different walks of life and they all kind of come with a different skill set. And this is just from the first pilot, so I'm sure that's going to be touched on more as the show goes on. But everyone kind of has this way that they can contribute and I think it's really cool. Because you don't often see that where you see women, especially younger women, teenage women, girls, working together towards a common goal. It always feels like they're trying to do like the mean girls thing where it's this underhanded passivity. But this one in the beginning feels very true to what it would be like to be in a survival situation without making it, what am I trying to say? Without making it... Um, too catfighty? Like, too, too, playing into too many stereotypes surrounding teenage girls. And I've only seen the first episode, so I don't know what happens as the series goes on. But they clearly have some 
animosity towards each other, especially as, like, because everybody on the plane, they came in pairs. So mostly they're either friends or siblings. And so, like, if some of the friends are making other friends, there's a little bit of animosity there sometimes, but they still know that they have to stick together to survive. So it's not like, oh, I'm trying to sabotage you because I actually, you know, we actually need everybody. Yeah, it's definitely laying the groundwork for some storytelling later on in the season. Because like you said, like you start seeing little, little holes where, th- where things are starting to peek through a little bit. But like, like you said, we're right in the beginning, we're right in the introduction. And I think that's something that people don't always talk about, teenage girls in particular, because our fight style has to adapt because we're always told to be nice, right? Mm-hmm. So our fighting style adapts. So we have to learn how to fight without fighting. But the thing is, is most teenage girls learn how to survive in the hellscape that can be teenagedom by biding their time or by holding their tongue. I, I'm not sure how I'm saying that. Or I'm yeah. not sure quite how to say that, but there is this kind of wait and see feel to it. It's like, okay, we're not going to get into this just yet, but we're going to hold our cards to our to our chest until we know how to use them. I guess, and again, this is a stereotype, but it's more strategic than boys will just like start hitting on each other, but girls have to play like a long con. Well, like I said, it's kind of, or like I said, because we've been told our whole lives, be nice, now, now, let's not fight. We've had to adapt our fighting style. So our fighting style isn't scrapping and physical fighting like boys fight. Because they're allowed to express that because the boys are just being boys, right? Mm-hmm. But instead, we live in a world where we're told we can't, where it's wrong to advocate for ourselves in that kind of situation, right? Yeah. So we learn how to fight differently. So it's not that girls, I mean, and they talk about all the time how vicious teenage girls are. But it's not that teenage girls are more vicious, it's just we've had to adapt how we defend and advocate for ourselves. So we start this show with an intercutting of scenes between somebody in the hospital where hospital things are being done to them, blood is being drawn, um, hearts being listened to, with scenes on the island. And I feel just so like I'm talking about Lost when I say the island. (laughs) Um, We have to go back. And then the voiceover of the trauma specialist saying, you know, like, we're just, this is a preliminary interview. We're just here to talk to you. Everything's okay. So, you know, while this voiceover is going on, we see, we don't know who it is, but we see somebody having a checkup done to them and then in the water, on the beach, you know, all these little things that we will learn about as this episode goes on. And we find out that the person that we are seeing, the first character we're introduced to is Leah. And she's in the room with the trauma specialist and with the guys conducting the investigation into what happened. And something that I like about this show too is I feel like another type of show would have had her looking real pretty and done and everything, but no, she didn't do something. You can tell. She's got rough patches of skin. She's got an abrasion on her forehead. Her hair is frizzy. 
and it looks real, and I love that. Yeah, absolutely. I, I kind of zeroed in on that as well because, like you said, it's such a hallmark of TV shows to make women especially, and they do it for men too. I think we just notice more with women because we know how much it goes into looking that effortless. But normally it is this very glamorous, no makeup makeup, but you know they've been in a makeup chair. That you know they've had a hot roller or hot hair tool situation happening. But she looks how she would look if she was rescued from a traumatic situation. Yeah. And so they pull out this bag of drinks and they're like, we didn't know what you liked, so, you know, pick whichever one you want. And they pull out a bottle of orange soda. And it's specifically Harito soda, which is delicious. I think we know somebody who was in one of their commercials once. Oh, yeah, Carl was. I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, my husband was in a Jaritos commercial that uh, premiered at Cannes Film Fest of all places. Uh, yeah. And so she picks it up, and she's like, I used to drink these all the time, and we start seeing these flashbacks, just these short little scenes of her in a car with this guy, and he's clearly older than her, and... Just some little shots of him, and we're like, oh, okay, I know where this is going. Oh, did you did you pick up on that? Because I didn't realize she was underage at first. It was hard for me to tell, um, but I knew or, that they were supposed to be teenagers. Okay, maybe that's, the, I said the wrong thing. My brain will catch up with my mouth, I promise. He did not look that much older to me. You know, I tried to find out how old he is, and there's very little information on the internet about him, so I don't know how old he is. On the character Other or the actor? Both. Okay. Um, I assume he's probably at least in his 30s, but maybe not. Um, but yeah, he, he hasn't done a lot. There's not a lot on his IMDb, and, um, and then nothing about, like, you know... Sometimes they'll be like, oh, he was a car salesman before he got into acting. But no, there's not really any info about him other than he's married. Well, okay. But anywho, yeah, so you do start seeing those flashbacks. And she has this really great monologue. And Yeah, I... Go ahead. Oh, I wrote down some stuff about it. Uh, just little phrases from it. And you jump in at any time, but... I wrote, I wrote two. Not being... Okay, I wrote not being enough, dark moods. Brutal social scene, ridiculous expectations, responsibilities, fucking with my healthy development, frigid chastity bitch, the world is a dangerous place for a sexually evolved girl yep. wanting to love and be loved back. Being a teenage girl in normal ass America, that was the real living hell. Yeah, because the trauma specialist starts talking about everything she's been through. And she says, well, how many of the girls have you interviewed? And he says that you're, he, she's the first one, Leah is. And she goes, so you don't know what I've been through. And she goes through this really powerful monologue. And it's laying the groundwork for all of these characters. So we're starting to learn a little bit more about them as this voiceover is happening. And we're kind of seeing each character in their own environment pre plane crash or pre disaster. Because we don't know at this point exactly what happened. Uh, but we know they were on an island. But so we start seeing what that looks like. And she said, and like she, you said, she goes, the island, sure, there was trauma on the island. 
but being a normal ass teenage girl in America, that's the real hell. And each character is highlighted by one of the things that she says. Yeah. Um, like the athlete has such unreal expectations on her and the pageant queen is the frigid chastity bitch and um, the, the cellist prodigy is the sexually evolved girl. And so while she's talking about each one of these things, we see a little clip of each one of the girls. Mm-hmm. And then she wakes up floating on, it looks kind of like the wing of the plane, but I'm not sure exactly what it is. And we hear Pink, song, one of Pink's songs playing. Yeah, Raise Your Glass. Because I immediately knew the song, and I thought for just a second that my phone started playing. Because it, it's kind of off in the distance, because it's a cell phone in a suitcase. And I thought, is my cell phone in the other room, and is it playing music? Yeah. And so she swims over to the suitcase, and she finds the phone. And just as she like gets it out, it slips out of her hand and sinks to the fathoms below. Yeah. And, and the Little Mermaid finds it. <laughs> and then the show's over because they all become mermaids. But no, but just for a second, I wanted to touch on, I thought this scene in particular stood out because the actor playing Leah, Sarah Pigeon, does a really good job at playing someone that has survived a plane crash. And that might not be the most eloquent way to put that, but she's going between yelling for help and crying and sobbing and then trying to find some way to survive. And I don't know exactly what it was, but something about that really hit me. I was like, oh my gosh. I don't know. It spoke to something. So I thought this scene was really touching in a disturbing way because of how real she played it. Yeah, it's a very good scene. Then we flashback. We have flashbacks within flashbacks here. Yeah, there, this storyline has a, or this episode has a lot of non-linear flashback storytelling. Because trying to do beats for this episode was very interesting. Yeah, so we find out that they are going to the Dawn of Eve. It's like a feminist conference in Hawaii that they get to fly on a chartered private plane. Yeah, I have no idea how much this retreat is costing their parents. That was the first thing I thought of because I was like, my God, to... even though they were sharing it with eight other girls or whatever, still char- just having a chartered plane for eight or nine people. Leah's in the car with her parents and her mom's like, I hope this pulls you out of your funk. And she says, don't call my emotional devastation a funk. Yeah, that teen angst comes through real strong. And we also get a clue here because her mom says, I know you're going through some kind of breakup. Yeah, so the parents aren't clued into really what she's going through. Yeah. They kind of have a vague idea. So it makes me wonder as we watch the series how much they knew and exactly why was she sent to this conference. Like, was it because of the breakup? Was it because of something else? So then we flash back to the ocean again, and she finds another girl. Her name is Jeanette. Later, we'll find out that Jeanette is the only one on the plane who came alone, that everybody else came in pairs, either siblings or friends or random happenstance. That like, They just happen another... to be from the same school or something. Yeah. Um, but Jeanette's on her and... own, and she's not doing well. 
No, she's got this really bad bruising on her abdomen. But this is where oh. I um, where I mentioned they all kind of have different skills because immediately Leah's kind of looking at her injury and checking your pulse and she's like, okay, I don't think it's internal bleeding because if, if it was internal bleeding, your, your pulse would be all out of whack or something. So she has a vague idea of how to check for internal bleeding. And I was thinking, yeah. I did not know how to do that when I was 16 or 17 or 32. Yeah, <laughs> either. <laughs> I'd be fucked. But on the plane, they say, see this welcome video where the lady says, the dawn of Eve waits for no man. Feminism. Yeah. And at her school, we find out that she is, her friend calls her normal core. <laughs> yeah, because she's not a vegan. She drinks regular milk and she's a virgin. Yeah, and her hair's all the same color. And her hair's all the same color. So he he's says, like... Everybody there... It says, everyone is too fucking interesting. He's having interesting overload. Yeah, so she's become her own brand of cool by being so boring. We find out that the other girl, Fatin... Oh, uh, can I say something really quick? Yeah, go ahead. No, because I wrote it down as they were going through, because the flashbacks come and go. So we have Leah's individual story flashback we have flashback to the plane we have flashback to the island and then leah in the present time talking to the trauma specialist and the investigator so in the plane flashback they're kind of going through and talking about all the girls that are on the flight and so i have it written down as martha and tony bffs dot and shelby texans rachel and nora sisters Fatten and Leah, classmates, and then Jeanette, mystery. Ooh. Yes. Um, but as she's walking through the school, her friend says that uh, Fatten is a, a cello virtuoso. And she seems really surprised by that because Fatten is, I think she calls her a basic bitch because, you know, she wears makeup. She has on very trendy clothes. She, she likes the logo graphic tees. Yeah. And they're talking about this book that they have to write a essay or report on. Um, and her friend doesn't really like the book. It actually looks like a really long book that the teacher assigned. But, you know, I'm not a high school teacher. It also, um, when he said 12 pages to describe wallpaper, I was, I don't care if it was a metaphor. I don't think I could read that. No, that's, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, that just made me shut down right there. So... <laughs> She loves the book, and the author is coming to the school to speak because he is an alum there. He went to high school there. Yeah, is this like a and special high school, like an advanced high school or an arts high school or something? Because I thought they were in college at first. Yeah, I wasn't, sh I wasn't sure at one point how old they were supposed to be, but she also says about Fatten, why does she go here? So there must be something special about the school. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I don't know. I don't know what. Maybe we find out in later episodes. Yeah. No, because that's what gave, I thought it was a college at first because of the way they were talking about having to write a paper on this book and being a sh like they talk about that and being a shoe in for Juilliard. So I don't know. It just gave me and just the way they were talking gave me college. But if it's like an advanced placement or some kind of special type of high school, that would make sense. Yeah. And so 
the girl from Texas, Shelby, decides Sorry. that they're going to do an icebreaker. But Never Have I Ever, suggested by Jeanette, is a little too intense. So they're just going to like pair off into groups and just like talk to each other. And then they're supposed to introduce each other to everybody in the group. Um, I'm not going to lie. That gave me like flashbacks to my old job. We had monthly trainings we had to do. And they would make us do stuff like this all the time and I dreaded it like yes same because here's the thing like on the outside I'm a Shelby I'm the one going oh let's get to know each other let's play a game on the inside I'm Leah with the book like curled up and not wanting to talk to anybody (laughs) but so we get we get a little deeper intro into each of the girls we find out that one girl got dismissed from her sports team because she peed in her hand and threw it in a, a rival's face. That was Tony. Um, we found out that Martha is fairly insecure in herself. But her, but her and Shelby and she- hit it off right away. Yeah, they have a budding friendship. Because that, um, that's kind of what I like about the characters. And of course, we have to get to know them. But like immediately, you think Shelby's going to be one type of way. And she is that, like, she's very, very that girl, if you know what I mean. But she also is a very genuine person. Um, I like her introduction. She's like, I do real. I do three things. I do Jesus, I do pageants, and I do something else. Yeah, she's like, I do my family, I do Jesus, and I do pageants. Yeah. And she's like, but I need to diversify because they might think that, the colleges might think pageants are a little, I, I can't remember what she said, Taboo in, like, the modern feminist age. So then this cute flight attendant brings these giant pieces of chocolate cake to everybody. Okay, I know that you're focused on cake, but really quick, could I go back? Because one of my favorite lines is between Fatten and Dot. Because Uh you have Fatten on one side who is dressed to the nines, hair, makeup done, jewelry, doing, touching up her lip gloss... Dot, on the other hand, and I, we didn't even touch on Dot, but her background, because she hasn't really talked about it, but there is a scene in the beginning where she is changing out some kind of tubing in, I think it might be her father's throat. It looks like she might be a caretaker of some sort. And she's, yeah. she's doing some t- sort of caretaker type routine in the beginning. But anywho, so she's kind of right away immediately judging Fatten for how Fatten looks. And... I can't remember what Fatten says, but she alludes to Dot that Dot is a lesbian. And she's like, not a lesbian. I just like storage because it's a comment about her cargo pants. Yeah. <laughs> and it's very true. Like cargo pants are disgusting, but they do offer many, many pocket options. <laughs> yeah, they do. Back to the cake. So sorry. That's okay. No, I actually made a comment about that exchange as well so that was one that stuck out to me and then how how they take the cake because Fatten's like thank you so much and batting her eyelashes and Dot's like thanks dude so Rachel the diver has an app on her phone that turns it into a food scale which is kind of gross to me because you touch your phone with your fingers dirty whatever but I know and there was a napkin right there she could have just put the napkin on the phone and then weighed the cake yeah also I didn't need to know there was an an app that turns the phone into a digital scale I don't need that kind of negativity in my life so she eats a tiny little bite of her cake 
Whereas Tony is just like holding the whole thing in her hand, scarfing it down. Leah's the only one who isn't participating in this game. She's sitting in the back, curled up with her book. Yeah, so we do get to learn a little bit about each girl. And so, like, Dot and Fatten are obviously on the surface polar opposites. Tony and Rachel, both athletes, but have very different approaches onto how to handle discourse. Because Tony, a couple times already, and we've barely had her, like, on the episode, has displayed she has severe anger issues. Like, does not handle that well at all. Rachel's very disciplined, but to her detriment. And then you have Nora, who, I, I don't know, she's barely speaking. And then Jeanette's just talking her ear off, talking about her pugs, and she's homeschooled, and she really likes pink when she thought she really liked rap. And yeah. they're just all going through and kind of talking. This is also the point where Martha tells Shelby, oh, it looks like you have something in your, some cake in your teeth. And Shelby goes in the bathroom and she's got like a, a bridge. She's, she's got a couple of missing teeth. And so she's got this kind of like retainer looking thing that's got two fake teeth on it. And the plane starts to go down. So they're asking Leah about this and she said it's really hard to talk about. And they're like, yeah, yeah. You, you know, mean the investigators? Traumatic. Yeah, the investigators are asking her. And she's like, no, it was embarrassing. I didn't cry or carpe diem or indulge or pray or reach out for comfort and again she's describing things and we see each of the girls doing these things so yeah rachel is just cramming chocolate cake into her mouth tony runs to martha uh shelby falls to her knees and starts praying and dot Dot's just smokes up a cigarette and nora puts her head between her legs leah just she Sits says she there. tries she sits there in her love puddle. Yeah, and, and as she's describing that, like, I've definitely, I remember being in those. So I can't imagine being in one and then experiencing a disaster like a plane crash. So then we jump back to the school assembly where Because again, the writer, not enough flashbacks. Yeah. <laughs> you know, in every screenwriting course I've ever taken and, um, when I was taking some graduate school classes, they were like, no flashbacks. Flashbacks are the worst. Don't use flashbacks for anything. And my script had several flashbacks in it, and they were like, take them all out. And this is nothing but flashbacks within flashbacks within flashbacks. Sarah Stryker was like, um, I see what you're saying. I hear it, and I'm going to do it anyways, and I'm going to add a few more. So... I see your flashback, um, and I raise you a billion. Yeah. Um, aspiring screenwriters out there, don't trust everything that is told to you, because obviously you can have flashbacks if you want them. You can have all of them. Well. Yeah, you can have all the flashbacks. Don't be policed by the flashback police. But she's at the assembly. She offers to give Jeff a ride back to the hotel, the... The teacher comes up and asks her friend, which, do we ever get his name? Hold on. Because, yes, we do. But I... I don't such remember a her sm- saying it, but I assume she did. He had such time. a small role in the first one that I didn't catch it. So let me see. Because I'm sure he'll make another appearance, so that would be good yeah. to know. But the teacher asks him to give Jeff 
the author a ride home. And he says that he can't. And Leah is like, I'll do it. Yeah, the friend's name is Ian. Ian, okay. But yeah, Leah says that she will drive him home. And then we're back into the uh, interrogation again. Yeah, then we flash forward to the present. Yeah. And they're asking her, well, how long were you in the water after the plane crash? How long before you got to the island? And she's like, I literally don't know. They're like, you can't ballpark it? Yeah. She said, all of us, even the ones that woke up on the island, have a blank spot in our memories from the time that the plane started to go down to when the next thing that we remember, which is either being in the ocean or being on the island. Which... I think that could be overlooked and be such a small part of the show. And and it might be, but I also just appreciated that because when when an individual experiences trauma, it is not uncommon to have memory loss. Well, yeah. And especially in something like a plane crash, I would think it would be, you know, your brain protects you from things that are too much. And I feel like that might be a little much to remember. So it wouldn't surprise me at all that you wouldn't remember the actual plane going down. Mm-hmm. So on the island... Yeah, you know, let's, just the girls I'm so sorry. Are, let's talk about it really quick, though. The fact that Jeanette and Leah are out in the middle of the ocean. And yeah. they have Leah, because Jeanette's not in a good way. Leah has to get them both to the island swimming. And it looks like at least a mile out. Yeah, there are good ways from the shore. And she's got to paddle them in with Jeanette on this board or something that she's floating on. Mm -hmm. But on the island, several of the girls are throwing up. Which, again, could easily be written off as just... The trauma of being in a plane crash. Mm-hmm. Since I haven't watched any more episodes, I don't know. I have a theory about it, but... Well, Nora makes a comment to Rachel, because Rachel is throwing up, and she's like, is this helping? Because I won't say anything if it's helping, or something like that. Which makes me think that Rachel might be bulimic. Um, something like that, because there's definitely a strained relationship between the two of them, because Rachel does not want to be there. I don't know that Nora really wants to be there, but Rachel very much blames Nora for the fact that they that she is there. Because she yeah. keeps going, what did you tell mom and dad? What did you tell them? Because in the, in the beginning when we're seeing Rachel when she's with her swim coach, the swim coach is really physically rough with her. And you can tell she's very harsh. And Nora walks in the pool area and sees that happening and they kind of exchange this glance. So my instinct is probably Nora felt like Rachel was heading down a damaging path and was trying to get her out of a bad situation. Oh, yeah. Again, haven't seen more than one episode, so can't say for sure, but that's what I got. But Rachel's really harsh and hostile with her. And you can tell Nora's not used to to being in that role and she's definitely she she doesn't handle confrontation well yeah oh and this is also so we see fatten on the island as well and dot comes over and is like you're in shock you need to get up and move and she wipes her mouth because fatten's also thrown up 
and somebody else does as well that we see. Tony, Rachel, and Tony. Yeah, Tony, Rachel, and Fatten. I wasn't sure if Fatten actually got sick or if it just the cake smeared on her face. Oh, I took it as she got sick. She might have. And Shelby rescues Martha. Martha is being pulled out by the tide through this little opening and we find out after she's rescued that her ankle is not good. I don't know if it's broken it, or just like really badly bruised, but she's having trouble walking. So Shelby runs out and brings her back in and rips up her shirt to make a bandage to go on the ankle and helps her hobble over to the main part of the beach where the other girls are. Yeah, out of all the girls, like you start seeing the friendship bud between Shelby and Martha first. Like they seem to be the first ones that didn't come together that are starting to develop a relationship. Tony is this isn't setting well with her. No, there's definitely like a th- she's threatened by it. And I'm not sure at this point what it is cuz there's there's definitely some kind of energy happening between Shelby and Martha and then Tony to Martha like almost like a possessive energy, but then there's also some some chemistry or energy between Tony and Shelby. Yeah. Like, it comes off at first as, like, hostile, like, I'm threatened by you kind of vibe. But I don't know. It's, I feel like there's more there. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. Mm-hmm. And we flash back now to... The past. Leah and Jeffrey. <laughs> so, yeah, so we flash back to Leah and Jeffrey, that storyline. So they're in the car together. And she's taking him to his hotel and he's like, oh, I'm sorry. I could have called like an Uber or something, but I have chosen not to have a smartphone. He doesn't seem like that bad of a guy, but this just is the worst conversation because he's like, yeah, I've chosen not to have a smartphone. I just would rather, I just have my flip phone. And it's like going on about like why he's chosen to do this. And I'm like, dude. It sounds like every dude in Austin. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. That's like, I'm just like, I'm not like other guys, okay? I have a flip bone. And he starts looking through her CDs, and she's like, she's very embarrassed about it. Yeah, and he even makes a comment, because she's like, oh, hey, my aux cord's in the glove compartment if you want to play music. And he's like, oh, CDs? Says the guy with a flip phone. And they start talking about Pink, and he says there's something archaic about her. And she's like, yeah, Pink I thought it was eternal. anarchaic. Oh. Like, like anarchy. That would make more sense. <laughs> there's something archaic. That's funny. Um, Some 15th century monks also sound like Pink. Yeah, I don't, I just thought he was being a douche. Well, um, he was being a douche. Like I said, I don't think he's the worst guy. In fact, some of his actions tell me maybe he, like, he's not the greatest guy, but he's also not the worst guy. But, oh, this is just the worst. Because it's something that would impress a 17-year-old or a 16-year-old. But me, looking back now, I'm just like, oh, ew. Just tuck and roll. Tuck and roll out of the car. He'll get home eventually. Yeah. (laughs) Just get out, Abandoned ship. (laughs) But yeah, and so eternal. we're back to the island again. Leah has gotten herself and Jeanette like close and she's yelling for help and they run up to get her. And it, 
this point, Tony doesn't know that Martha has been saved. So she's like, is there anybody else out there? Did you see anyone? And it's then that Martha and Shelby come hobbling up. And is it Dot that starts doing CPR on Jeanette? Yeah, Dot starts administering chest compressions. And she's doing them kind of wildly. It Yeah. It didn't look like when I went through CPR training, that wasn't how I remember it going. And all the girls are like, hey, you need to slow down. She's like, well, who else knows CPR? And everyone, including Leah, who is like almost passed out on the beach, raises their hand. So we find out that every single girl on the island can do CPR. And then we're back to Leah and Jeffrey again. So many flashbacks and And jumps. And this is where their relationship starts to kind of take off. They've gotten some food and they're sitting out by a basketball court eating, drinking orange soda. Yeah, she's drinking the same brand of Harito's orange soda. And... Having tacos. At the end, he said, this is nice. We should do this again. It's like, dude, come on. Well, what did you want him to say? If a high schooler is driving you you don't usually lead on with like does she does he know she's a high schooler that's what I was confused about because I wasn't sure because of how like close proximity she was to the teacher like did she think did he think she was someone else like faculty well she tells him in that conversation we should talk about your book I have to write an essay on it oh crap okay he's not a good dude never mind I take it back I take it back because I've I was sitting here because, okay, this is what's happening in my brain is I still can't quite get my head around that they're not in college. I still feel like she's a college student. Gotcha. So, but it's like, no, high school, high schooler, not 18, author, clearly over 18, hitting on high schooler. Ugh. So close. My first watch of it, I thought, oh, okay, she must be... 18. She must be a senior, like, you know, one of those people that maybe turned 18, like, in August or something. Yeah, because... So she's okay, just an older senior. Yeah, now I'm rethinking this, because I've watched it through twice now. Now I'm sitting there going, why was he t- talking to her? Why was this happening? Yeah. No, 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 well, no. I no. mean... Jeffrey, what the it's, fuck? It's one thing to be like, hey, yeah, let's pull through something, you know, I'll eat in my hotel room or whatever yeah like if you could swing by and i'll grab food and i'll eat eat later but like they're stuck it's clearly like a date atmosphere yeah and the fact that he says we should do this again yeah and she grabs his phone and and this is kind of a cute little line she has she goes so do you use this phone for anything else besides drug deals yeah and it's like oh she's funny she's trying to be funny see now this is taking on a whole different energy for me because i I had such trouble believing she was a high school student. Okay, anyways. So, yeah, that's icky and gross. Yeah. But do you know how many people are okay with that? This is jumping around a little bit, but she does tell him that she will be 18 in two weeks. So, you know, if he's thinking... But at this point, he doesn't know. No, he has no clue how old she is. Nothing. And 
even before she says that, he texts her, I think about kissing you all the time. Yeah, because they start having this text relationship where they're texting back and forth. And yeah, she's talking about then there's always that one text that comes through. And she's like brushing her teeth. And he's like, hey, I'm drunk and I'm probably going to regret saying this, but I think about kissing you. And that's what she says. Yeah, then she says, oh, I'm 18 in two weeks, which we later find out is a lie. She's She's 17 in two weeks. So Uh, she's 16. Yeah, so she's 16. Which, I, for some people, um, some of our listeners around the world may not seem like a big deal because, I don't know if you remember from the fall, but in Ireland, the age of consent is 16. Well, and I think that's where, where you come from. It's like, what is your legal age of consent? And the legal age, is that what it's called, legal age of consent? Mm-hmm. So that's 18 here in the States, but it's like, it's unbelievably common for people over the age of 18 to be talking to people that are just on the cusp there of turning 18, but speaking to them and making plans for after they turn 18, that there is something inherently icky to me about that. Yeah. Like it's still weird for me, but I could understand like if he really did meet her just a couple weeks before she turned 18, okay, that's that's not totally weird. But, yeah. But you don't also I've been thinking about kissing you. Yeah, to somebody that you know is in high school, but you don't know how old they are. Yeah. Yeah, and you don't have a texty relationship with an underage person like that. Absolutely not. With their parents so aware. Because I think it's fine. If, if there's a conversation happening that the parents are aware of and it's a platonic yeah. exchange, I think that's okay. But parents need to be aware of what's happening. And she has this whole bit where she's like, I'm going to let you behind the curtain. If a person is important to you, you don't put your crush's name in the phone. You learn their phone number by heart and... It's really kind of a nice monologue if it wasn't about this grown-up dude. This inappropriate relationship. Yeah. Yeah. So that whole mess happens. And yeah, so I can't. I think we have another flashback to the island at this point. Yeah, where Shelby says she's going to go try to find water and they're taking stock of their supplies, which all they can find is Diet Coke because, and this is something I learned from this show, Sugar is heavy, so anything with real sugar in it sunk, like actual Coca-Cola. So they just keep collecting cans of Diet Coke. (laughs) Yeah, and um, I think Nora's the one that tells Dot that on the beach, because they're kind of like waiting for supplies to wash up to shore and scavenging what they can use. So yeah, just kind of, again, showing where girl, showing where the character's skill set comes in. And Nora just happens to have this almost encyclopedic knowledge of different things like sugar sinks and artificial sweeteners won't. There was this exchange between Nora and who was no dot maybe where Nora was saying that she liked to read and she read all the time because her sister is an athlete and she's always on planes or at meets. Yeah. And she was um, talking to dot. Yeah. And dot was like, no, I don't read books. And they said that graphic novels would be the gateway to books, but the pictures were fine. But other than that, they sucked. 
I related to that just a little bit because I went through a reading slump for a few years where I just could not get into books. But I could read the occasional graphic novel. That just amused me. So Shelby goes off to look for some water and Martha gives her her shoes because Shelby's just wearing flip-flops, not sturdy ones at all. And Tony, who is still, you know, like threatened by this friendship or, you know, whatever's going on there, she decides that she's going to go with Shelby. And Shelby is like, you know, I go hunting with my dad. I know how to, like, process a deer. And so she's got these survival skills. Mm -hmm. But Tony is walking ahead of her and she lets a branch hit her in the face and knocks Shelby down this hill. Well, because Shelby is a self-professed Christian. And so she brings God into almost every point of conversation. And Tony is really annoyed by this because she's like, if God uh, brings you to it, he'll put, he'll help you through it or something like that. And she just has all these little, you know, like, you know, the signs you'll find at Hobby Lobby. Like she's just a walking one of those. She just has yeah. them memorized. <laughs> but so she's going through all these and she means well. She's, I, I mean, she seems like a very nice person and like she's just trying to help. And she seems like a very capable person too. But this is just getting on Tony's nerves. Because remember, this girl already has some anger issues. So now she's dealing with Bible girl and yeah, it's just r working every nerve she has. And she also thinks that Shelby's a girly girl and doesn't know how to do anything. And that's when Shelby's like, you know, I go hunting with my dad. I can, I shot a 10 point buck, broke its neck and butchered him in the field by myself. So I can, I can do things. And she goes, yeah, but I bet you have a lot of pillows on your bed. Also, there was a time or a point on the plane where Shelby uses a culturally insensitive term to say like, let's all meet, meet up or let's all have like little meetings. She calls it, and I'm not meeting this, this way, but she calls it a powwow. And yeah. Martha is indigenous. And so Tony says something, and I think Tony might be indigenous as, as well, but um, she's like, hey, that's your, th th that's insensitive to your culture or something. And she goes, oh, am I supposed to, I'm not offended. And she's like, well, you should be, or something that makes the comments of like, that it, they have like this back and forth. And Martha's like, well, you just like fighting. Yeah. I can't, that was a horrible explanation of how that scene went but like you got the gist of it though yeah yeah it wasn't the greatest though so that was kind of where tony's issues with shelby started yes was here comes little blonde perfect girl trying to run the like run the events and she's just paying attention to herself and she's not really thinking about other people right in the beginning she's just trying to get everybody you know hyped up and excited and get together and get to know and all that kind of stuff Tony does, as she's walking with Shelby to find water, She get, Shelby's praying and she's, she's asking God to lead them to water. And Tony gets so annoyed by this that she literally forcefully lets a tree branch, like that she's holding back, she lets it go and it smacks Shelby in the face and knocks her clear down a hill. And she has a head injury. And Tony's instantly remorseful because it was something she did in the moment when she was mad. And Shelby catches on but she's like you know it's i'm fine you just walk ahead i'll just walk alone i just rather walk alone and then she doesn't say anything to anybody about what happened she just said oh i fell that was clumsy of me so again there's this energy between the two of them so i don't know what it is but i think 
I think there might be a little chemistry there. Yeah. Well, I mean, we'll have to see. I intend to. But yeah, so they're all standing after all of this takes place. They're all on the beach and they're taking stock of what they have. And they're like, okay, who has a phone? And everyone's like, do you think we'd be holding out on you if we didn't have a phone? And Dot's like, oh, oops, I forgot I have a phone. They, they bury the phone in the sand. They're going to check back on it later to see if it works. She also has a lighter, which I assume that this is going to come into play later. But So they're which, trying to get the lighter and the phone to dry out. Which again, this is Nora with just her knowledge that she has telling them like, hey, sand is an alternative to rice to dry out phones and things if they're wet. Then we're back to Leah and Jeffrey. It's after Leah's birthday, and she shows up at his hotel room. Things go from there. She has this bit where she's talking about, like, every girl thinks about what her first time will be like, and most think about prom or something like that. And he has no problems. Well, because he thinks she's 18. Mm -hmm. Uh, And she asks him to sign a copy of his book for her. And he says, I'll do you one better. I'll annotate it. So he makes little notes for her in the book. And this is the copy of the book that she's been reading on the plane and that she has held very dear to her heart. Well, come to find out that he shows up at her house. He texts her and says, I'm outside. And she comes out and gets in the car and says, I had to tell my mom and dad you were an Uber. And he says, somebody sent me your birth certificate by certified mail. You're not 18. You just turned 17. Somebody knows. I understand clearly that he is very upset about this because she lied to him and he is now could go to jail for this. And it's like bad all the way around. And he says, you're, you are a child and you lied to me. And so she gets out of the car and runs back inside And it's like, well, yes, both points are true, but you're also the creep that was texting and flirty with a 17-year-old. So maybe you shouldn't have done that. We see her, she's like hiding under the covers and she gets a message from him saying, you know, don't ever contact me again, it's over. Yeah, which we see that in the beginning too, but you don't know who it is. You just know that it breaks her heart. So this is the backstory to that. And so when they finally dig up the phone and it'll turn on, they have to know somebody's number. And whose number do you have memorized? So Leah doesn't want to take the phone because the only number she has memorized is Jeffrey's number. And most of the other girls take the phone and they try it and it doesn't go through. It doesn't go through. Rachel is like, hey, I'm going to call coach because mom and dad are in Morocco. And Nora freaks out. She's like, no, you cannot call coach. You cannot call coach. And then tries in vain to call the parents who obviously aren't going to answer because she doesn't want Rachel to call her, her swim coach. So Fatten tries to call somebody. She, I, I'm guessing it's her parents, but she was like, I really don't want to call these assholes. No, it's her parents um, because they made her go on the, the retreat that she did not want to go on because she said she was a girly girl. She said she was double the girl or woman any other girl was. Or something. I can't remember what she said, but in the conversation with Dot on the airplane. So she did not want to be there, and she's really mad at them, but that's the only number she knows to call. And it starts ringing. Well, at the same time that this happens, Jeanette kind of wanders off, and then she starts throwing up blood and collapses. Leah pulls up her shirt and sees that what she thought was just like bad bruising was is actually really bad, and she did have internal bleeding. 
and she, she dies. dies. Like, because I thought this shot, or I thought this scene was interesting because Fatten's on the phone and it's ringing. And as she's hearing the phone ring, Jeanette's collapsing. Leah's over her seeing the internal bleeding. And Fatten goes, it died. And Jeanette goes, or, and Leah goes, she just died. She's dead. They decide to bury her, even though they think that somebody's going to come rescue them right away. Yeah, most of them um, are of the mindset that, hey, we live in the modern age. Like, we're going to get rescued. It's just a matter of time. We just have to survive. A couple of the girls are like, well, why are we even burying her? And Dot's like, so the animals don't get her. So they dig a, a shallow little grave in the sand, and Shelby says a prayer. Yeah, we find out she's an ordained minister, too. Youth minister. Uh, yeah, an ordained youth minister. <laughs> Which I'm not sure uh, how that works. Because <laughs> I don't... Yeah, I don't think that... It's a I real thing. I don't remember that that program being offered in church. <laughs> not to teenagers anyway, maybe adults. Like we had youth ministers, but not ministers who were also youth. Yeah. So I don't know what, what denomination she's in. Yeah. But Leah starts singing Raise Your Glass by Pink. Because that was, because again, Jeanette found, discovered she really liked Pink and that was her ringtone that Leah heard. So after Shelby's really sincere little eulogy, they all start singing Pink's Raise Your Glass. But it takes on this really kind of haunting feel to it because it kind of sounds like they might be singing in the minor. I think they're just off key, but mm. <laughs> it kind of sounds like they're singing it in the minor and it just gives this real haunting effect. It also made me decide that I think I want when I die all of y'all to stand around my body and sing to me. Okay, we'll do that. We'll sing Ding Dong, The Witch is Dead. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I get to pick the song. So they found a few little bottles of alcohol from the plane, and they decide that they're going to play Never Have I Ever. Yeah, it's kind of this unspoken memorial to Jeanette. So we learn a little bit about all of the girls through this. It's such a really raw look at teenage girls or just girls in general because it's so true to how girls interact. So it was this very like almost cute, realistic moment of them just all being teenagers together. And so while, while they're asleep on the beach that night, Leah hears a sound. Don't forget, we've already flashed forward back to the interview that's concluding. And she's like, oh. oh, no, wait, I forgot. And then we flash back to the beach. And she didn't tell anybody that this happened. She hears a phone ringing. And so she goes and she digs She realizes Jeanette it's coming up. from Jeanette's pocket. Or it's coming yeah. from the grave. She finds the phone. And you can tell right away it's not just like a regular It's like a satellite smartphone. phone. Yeah. She calls the only number that she knows which is Jeffrey's number and he basically he just goes at her saying did you call me from an unknown number so that I would answer don't ever call me again and she said she was too paralyzed by the sound of his voice to say hey my plane crashed will you help me and she asks the interviewers did he come forward once he heard about the plane crash did he say oh she contacted me and they don't answer so she knows that he didn't, and she just loses it. And it's, it's really heart-wrenching. Yeah, because she just wants to know 
even if they can't be together, she wants to know that he cared enough to at least let someone know she reached out. Which again, he's too scared probably about going to jail to do that. Right. It's like he's he's more concerned with saving his own, own ass than her life. So from there, we now, we see this woman getting off of an airplane. And who is it except for the woman that was in the welcome video? And this guy is saying, hey, we've been trying to get a hold of you. This is bad. And she you see on her phone, it says code X. Yeah. And we get to the headquarters and we can see on this screen that they can see the island. And they say, Jeanette's dead. And she's like, are you sure that she's dead? And they show her the video of the funeral and it's like, okay. And then doesn't she say something about, well, we have another agent, right? Yeah. She's like, we have another operative. So it's like, are one of the other girls an operative? That's, that's what I don't know. And obviously the plane crash was meant to happen. Did the plane even crash? I mean, my theory is that there was something in the cake that knocked them out. That's why they can't remember anything. And it also made them sick. And it was all just a setup. Like the plane landed, they dropped some stuff out in the ocean, put the ones on the boards and put the other ones on the island. So do they just like beat Jeanette up or what? How did she get all of her injuries? Honestly, I don't know. That's the only thing. Cause I was like, holy shit, that's good. But I was like, but how did she get the injuries? That's true. So I don't know about that, but that that's my theory about why they were all throwing up the cake and why they can't remember. So the dawn of Eve isn't some weekend retreat. It seems like some kind of weird operative organization. I don't know. Yeah, I don't I don't know like what it is or if that's their plan is like we're going to help the women become stronger by making them rely on each other and be tough. Hopefully they don't die. Yeah, so I don't know. But anyway, I think we said earlier the show's already been renewed for a second season. Yeah, got really, really great reviews, really well received. They filmed in New Zealand, which would be amazing. I would love to work on something. Yeah, they filmed on the beach in, in New Zealand for almost the entire time. Uh, it has a 72% score on Rotten Tomatoes. And the executive producer is Amy B. Harris, who also produced Sex in the City. Some yeah. very different types of shows. Yeah, and I wrote down just a little bit what I could find because this is, the show's really interesting because it's a lot of actors that don't have a ton of credits yet or very small yeah. credits. And then Sarah Stryker, who is the creator, she was a writer on Daredevil, but this is her first time as a creator and I'm sure showrunner yeah. for a show. Um, so Susanna Fogel, who's the director for this, she's also a writer. And she wrote and directed, let's see, what did she? So she's she wrote two episodes for The Flight Attendant, which is another thing that we should probably look at. That's on Stars or HBO, it's on one of them. I think it's on HBO Max. Yeah, so that I've heard that really good things about that. She also directed for the show Utopia, which I haven't heard of. She wrote and directed The Spy Who Dumped Me with Kate McKinnon and Mila Kunis, which I personally thought that was a really cute movie. I knew I knew that name. Yeah, and then she has directed and written for Chasing Life, which was on ABC Family, I think. 
And then she wrote uh, and directed a movie called Life Partners back in 2014 with Leighton Meester and Gillian Jacobs from Community. Um, But she wrote Booksmart. Oh, okay. So just she has a really cool different type of resume. So I just wanted to mention that. And then um, I was looking at some of the actors. Now, a lot of them, like Mia Healy, who plays Shelby, this is her first credit. This is like her first Wow. Yeah. And then a lot of them, they have short films or smaller, like, TV appearances and things like that. But um, Rain Edwards, who plays Rachel, she was the final girl. Did you, when we went to the Austin Film Fest a few years ago, it was either Austin Film Fest or the TV Fest, I can't remember. Uh, But we watched Hulu, Into the Dark Anthology, their Thanksgiving horror movie called Pilgrim. Were you with me when I saw that? No, I didn't get to see that one. Okay, so Rain Edwards, who plays Rachel in this, was the final girl in Pilgrim. Oh, okay. And she was fantastic. Because I even remember saying to my husband, I was, I said, she's going to do things. So I was really excited to see her on this. I didn't recognize her right away because in Pilgrim, of course, they have her done up. Like hair, makeup, wardrobe. She looks amazing. And she looks amazing in this as, as well. But they let acne show through. So I don't know if she actually has acne or they made it look like she had acne, but she has some type of um, skin condition. And they just let it show through on the show, which I thought was super cool. I love that they let them look like real people. Yeah, they don't look made up at all. And then Sophia Ali, who plays Fatten, she has several credits. I think she might be one of the ones that has the most credits. But I thought it was kind of interesting. She had a small role in Everybody Wants Some, which... Oh! Yeah, so Laura and I know two of the actors that were in that movie. Laura did acting classes with them years ago, and we've done plays with them. But um, I just thought that was kind of an interesting tie-in to Austin and our and to us. So, yeah, so she was um, the roommate, I think, of one of the girls in that movie. And then, okay. Yeah, so they all have a few credits, but this is really, truly, probably the biggest one for most of them. Because, like, Sarah Pigeon's done very few things. She, I remember her, she was on Gotham. And that's because she has kind of an interesting name because Pigeon's not a surname you, you forget. So I remembered that, but she hasn't done a ton. So a lot of these are just new actors are kind of, that were kind of still untapped in a way. Yeah. And they're all great. Mm -hmm. So I'm really excited to see the, um, the growth and journey of these characters on the show. Yeah, me too. So here's some reviews. Um, Lucy Magan from The Guardian said, the theme of the wilds is signaled almost painfully obviously even allowing for the fact that it is aimed at a younger demographic at the start. There was trauma, agrees Leah, early on when the therapist asks her about life awaiting rescue on the island. But being a teenage girl in normalized America, that was the real living hell. But once that point has been loudly made, it is on with the story proper, which rapidly both deepens and widens to deliver a view of today's young female life experience that grows to be a panoramic, detailed, daft, and moving all at once. Uh-huh. And Anna Donahue at IndieWire said, The plane takes off, things don't go as planned, and these caricatures purposefully crafted to hit the stereotypical marks of every teen show ever 
are about to become the most compelling teenage girl characters seen in a genre TV program since Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Ooh. The backstories of the young women on the island are meditations on the impact of the short and long-term trauma on mental health and physical health, and there isn't a false note ever hit by any of the actors. And Kristen Baldwin at EW says... The Wilds isn't really a teen lost, though both shows end their first seasons with a maddening cliffhanger. Oh, great. Here, the mystery isn't so much why these girls are on the island, but how being there will change them, and I, for one, want to go back. We have to go back. (laughs) I'm in the middle of a Lost rewatch right now. Um, I never finished the show, and so a friend of mine, uh, we started at the beginning, and we're about halfway through season four now, so it's like... Any lost references uh, are fresh in my mind. <laughs> Part, well, then this show's coming around at a great time for you. Yeah. It's great to know this ends with a cliffhanger. Super excited for that. Oh, yeah. So, spoiler alert for anybody, the season ends with a cliffhanger. <laughs> yeah, so, and Amazon shows take a year, typically, to develop. They're, like, to come out. So, we're going to end on a cliffhanger, and then we'll have to wait a year. Yeah. Ugh. So what's your rating? I thought this was phenomenal. I thought the writing was excellent. Like keeping track of the storytelling with so many flash forwards and flashbacks and flashbacks within a flashback, I thought was really well done. And I love that this was created, written, directed, and starred all women. That is such a fantastic thing to see. And not only was it women, it was women that didn't look the same. You have Different body types represented. You have different ethnicities, which is great and really refreshing to see. Yes. And I, again, I just hope this just becomes the norm. I, I hope we get to the point where I don't have to make a special mention when I see true to life diverse casting. Right. That that doesn't, that we're at a point where that doesn't automatically make something better than everything else right and not only that like I want that to become the standard as far as diversity but also the standard when it comes to seeing representation for LGBTQ plus people because while we're only in the first episode I see that foundation being laid like I think we're going to have different types of characters with different types of stories yes because I thought it was so cool that we have indigenous characters We had Asian characters. It wasn't just, oh, we have, you know, a Latin girl or we have one black person. It was a very well-rounded cast with different looking people that represented different communities. Right. And tell me if this is not a right thing to say, but so often too, if they are like, oh, we're going to throw in latinx character oh but obviously she's gonna be the poor one it's like no you know all these girls come from affluent families yeah because they wouldn't really be on this otherwise as far as we know because we don't know the circumstances of like how they came to be at this on the plane but we are led to believe that most likely all of them have some affluence at least the ability to go on a, a trip like this Yeah. So like you said, it's not like poor girl from the wrong sides of the track that has the heart of gold. It's like, no, they're all typical American teenagers. Right. As far as we can tell. And then we're going to learn more about their backstories later on. 
but again, no stereotyping into any type of like any type of category. Yeah. So which is so nice to see. It is nice to see. It's nice to see something and not be like, okay, well, except for that, it was good. It's like this feels like something I'm I would feel good to recommend to people or kids 16 plus because I don't think it, it I think under 16 you're too young for it but I think 16 plus would be fine um, I agree with that I think for a pilot it, it, it the storytelling was great the casting was great the acting was great I'm gonna give this an a plus because this is this is what I'm wanting to see I want to see even more of this and I didn't have any problems following what was going on. My father could not watch the show because he would be completely lost with the flashbacks and flashbacks and jumping forward and all of that. But it wasn't a problem for me. No. Um, Oh, also something I really loved. It's like they had a character say something problematic and not just leave it. They were like, she said something problematic. So I thought that was good. Because yeah. I, heard, I heard the character say it and I was like, um. And then literally the next breath, there was a character saying, hey, did you hear her? Very excited to see where this show goes. So my recommendation is another worst vacation ever uh, type of thing. And it's a movie from 2019 called Sweetheart, directed by J.D. Dillard, written by J.D. Dillard, Alex Thurer, and Alex Heiner. Uh, stars... Kersey Clemens, Emery Cohen, Hannah Manga Lawrence, and Andrew Crawford. And it is the story of Jen. Jen is washed ashore, a small tropical island, and it doesn't take her long to realize she's completely alone. She must spend her days not only surviving the elements, but must also fend off the malevolent force that comes out each night. Is it a smoke monster? And no. Oh, not but it that is a monster. Okay. Different island. Yeah, Got different it. island. Okay. But it's really good. It's like the first half of it is kind of castaway, but also she's one that has skills. She obviously hasn't trained her whole life to be on an island, but she's like, okay, I can do this. And she's just by herself. There's very little dialogue. She finds out about this thing that's on the island and then... Later on, some other characters show up, and they don't believe her about the island, and so it's, yeah, it's really good. So it's kind of horror, survival, monster movie on Tropical Island. Well, that ticks all the boxes. But it's good. I think you'd enjoy it. It was streaming on, I want to say Hulu, but I'm not sure if it still is or not. Okay. Well, that's easily found out. Yeah. So what's your recommendation? So my recommendation is an is a t- another TV show called Motherland Fort Salem. This is on I think it's what is this channel called now? Freeform. They do a lot of programming for young adults. Um, but this is a show it premiered in March 2020, so it's relatively new, and I believe it's already coming back for a second season. It's created by Elliot Lawrence. It stars Taylor Hickson, Demetria McKinney, and Jessica Sutton, and The synopsis is pretty simple, but it's a trio of witches are trained to become powerful weapons for the American military. That really doesn't tell you a lot, but this is basically an alternate history. Like what would happen if the Puritans were defeated and the witch and there were really witches and they controlled America. So like we weren't a puritanical Christian nation, like are those those weren't our roots like that was a race and we became a matriarchal society for one where women hold all the offices and men are they're not subservient but they're definitely 
they 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 fall into more the women roles here, but they're they're treated much better. And witchcraft is used in the military, and ah. every witch is called to service. Like basically, you're you're drafted, and it's up to you if you take if you answer the call. But every witch is called to service. But it's very dark. It's very intense. Really good representation. And I haven't made it all the way through the first season. I think I've watched the first five episodes. And it's fun. And it's really it's it's really interesting to me because I love those alternate history things where what would the world look like if this had happened? So why did you pick that as a recommendation for this? So I know How, how do the two tie together? So this one and Motherland for me... It's women working together because you have a group of of girls that are brought together and they don't necessarily want to be brought together, but they're forced to work together because if they don't, it's mutually assured destruction. So they have to work together to see themselves succeed. And you have different walks of life. So you do, like you have the poor girl, you have the girl that was raised in like a hippie commune. I'm not, I can't really quite remember. It's been a while since I watched it, but she had a very alternate, um, upbringing and then you have the girl who's like the legacy who it's like you know her mother her grandmother her great mother grandmother have all been soldiers and she's expected to fulfill all of these duties but then they get in and there's this um I don't know if it's like a terrorist organization I guess it kind of is that's trying to overtake the motherland okay so it's not really a uh, desolate like survival type movie or show but it, it there is survival involved and it's more the politics and psychology department i guess and okay. again it's like they have to work together or they all will fail cool well that sounds really good i want to check that out and i don't know why but the feel like the feel of the shows feel similar okay yeah i know it has absolutely nothing to do <laughs> with this but the only thing is is it's a majority female cast like very few men and all the starring roles are women nice well real quick i want to say a thank you to better archangel who gave us a five star rating and a very nice review thank you so, so much yeah thank you very much and if y'all have a moment please give us a rating and a review it helps people to find us on the different platforms that we're on and let them know that they should listen. Also wanted to let y'all know that we have a bookshop now. So the link is on our website. It's up at the top. And if you go to fatalfemspodcast.com, there's where you can find our Patreon and you can find our bookshop and any books that we've talked about on the show, you can purchase through there. It not only supports us, but it supports indie bookstores as well. So it's a really good way to get some of the books that we've talked about and support a couple different places. Yeah, so do that. And once again, Happy New Year, and we will see y'all in two weeks where we will be talking about the movie The Black Coat's Daughter with our special guest, Doug McCambridge. Oh, we're just giving all the tea, aren't we? We're just telling them what's coming up. Okay, cool. This is also a special episode because Doug is one of our patrons, and he has pledged at the level where he gets to program an episode of the show. So he gave us three titles to look at, and we picked The Black Coat's Daughter. So we will be talking about that next time. Yeah, super excited to watch this movie again so I can have nightmares. Like, 
it's a good movie. I've really enjoyed it. Like a slow burn and also like a slow creep up and freak you out kind of movie. Like it's one of those that sits with you. So it'll be fun to talk about and also revisit all the horror of the first time I watched it. So it's in a desolate place, but it's snowy desolate, whereas this was um, it like desolate. Yeah, this is more like the shining desolate, like just extreme bitter cold and the devil. Yeah. So, all right. We'll see you guys next time. Everybody say bye. 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 Thank you for listening to this episode of Fatal Femmes. Like us on Facebook at Fatal Femmes and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Fatal underscore Femmes. Have a question or comment for the show? Shoot us an email at fatalfemmespodcast at gmail.com. Episodes are now available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or whatever podcatcher you use. Don't forget to leave us a rating while you're there. If you like what you've heard, check out our Patreon page. We have different sponsorship levels with perks that will allow us to make more content and better quality episodes. We hope you enjoyed this episode, because if you didn't, the consequences could be fatal. Thanks for listening.